Ephesians chapter 2. Please open your Bible over to Ephesians chapter 2. Our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, if God is the creator of life, and in particular, our lives, then we should be very interested in how he wants our lives to be. He's designer. He's the the architect. He's the one who made us. He knows how we tick, how we work as people. And he has a plan. The Bible says that we were created for his glory. Think about that. We were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Now, what we have in our text is a picture of the way we were before we were saved, the way we are once we're saved, how God sees us, and then the way the Lord wants us to go at this point or from this point on with the rest of our lives. And so what we see in our text today, if I was to give you kind of a simple outline and then we'll break it down. First, we're going to see the way we were dealing with our yesterday. And then we're going to see the way we are that has to do with how it is today. And then we are going to see after that, we're going to see the way God wants us to be once we're saved, once we're the children of God. So we're going to pick this up in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 1. The way we were, the way we were dealing with our yesterday. All of us have a testimony. All of us who are believers have a testimony, don't we? All of us can we, we can remember the way we were, how it was when we were lost, when we weren't saved. Do you remember, by the way, how it was? Now, those of you who are kids, you might say, eh, I seem to, I got saved when I was little. Well, good for you. Amen. That's great, by the way. But some of us didn't get saved when we were little. As a matter of fact, it's amazing how many people get saved right around their senior year of high school or into their first few college years. How many people get saved in that time period? Let's look at the way we were. Again, all of us have a testimony. The first thing we see is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you hath he quickened or made alive. It's talking about getting saved, being born again. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We see that, that we were dead. We were spiritually dead. Now let me spend a little time on this this morning because there's some false teaching going on out there today. And it's Calvinistic teaching and it's false. But the Calvinists love to cling to it. And you'll see, of course, if you have any common sense, you can see right through this. They'll say, well, uh, dead means that you can't make you're dead. You're like a corpse. Therefore, you can't make any decisions in life. You can't make a good decision to put your faith in Christ. This is what the Calvinists say. Well, that's not what the word dead means. As a matter of fact, that doesn't make any sense. Dead simply means without spiritual life. And you hath he made alive who were dead without spiritual life. See, we were not spiritually alive before we trusted Christ as Savior. It is being spiritually dead is being separated from God. Death means separation. We were separated from the life of God. 
is what it's talking about. It means that we do not have a new nature. We only have a sin nature. And so when we talk about the way we were our yesterday, we're talking about the time when we weren't born again before we got saved, when all we had was a sin nature. That's what it's talking about. It does not mean incapable of making right decisions. That's what the Calvinists teach. And that's not true. Lost moral people make right decisions every day. Just let's use our heads. You don't have to look any further than a good mother. Whether she's saved or lost, she's making right decisions for her family. Why? Because she loves them. Okay? If it means what the Calvinists mean or think it means, the world would be a lot worse. No, it is through conviction of the Spirit and by means of the gospel that a person can see their lost condition. They can see the truth of hell and have the common sense of fear to not want to go there. I love one man that I knew many years ago. He said, it was really simple to me. He says, when I heard the gospel, the man talked about hell And he realized it doesn't sound like a place I want to spend forever. Then he heard the gospel and realized Jesus paid his price for his sins. And that all God was asking him to do is put his faith in Christ. And he would be delivered from hell to heaven for all eternity. He said this, that made good sense to me. Because I knew, I didn't know much about heaven, but I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And he trusted Christ as a savior. And he was born again. Now folks, it doesn't have to get complicated. If you believe hell is what it is, you don't want to go there. And you'll be glad to accept any way out of it. That's good common sense. Conviction by the Spirit, yes. But he's convicting the world, isn't he, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, according to the book of John. See, we may have been religious before we were saved, but being religious and being saved is not the same thing. Paul certainly knew what it was like to be religious. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was cream of the crop when it comes to Pharisee. Nicodemus was another one, ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night, and he complimented Jesus, and Jesus just looked at him. It's interesting, because what Jesus said back really had nothing to do with what Nicodemus said. He looked at him, he says, you need to be born again. John chapter 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is how it was, folks, before we were saved. We were spiritually dead. It means without any spiritual life. We were not born again. We were separated from God. All we had was a sin nature, which leads us to our second one. We were under the influence, schemes, and heresies of Satan. This is all under the way it was. This is our past. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 2. It says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This one is called the devil. He is called the God of this world. Now, although temporary, he rules many aspects of this world. Satan is the God, little g, of this world system in which we live. That's why there's so much heartache, sorrow, chaos today. Because of his working in the world. 
I have no doubt he drives people to do heinous, wicked things. But not only does he do that, listen very carefully. He is a master counterfeiter. And what do I mean by that? He blinds people to the truth of the gospel by giving false gospels, false ways of salvation. This is why people trust in their works to try to get them to heaven. This is why people believe here's the craftiest of them all. Well, it is Jesus, but it's not Jesus alone. It's also Jesus and my good works. I have to not only believe in Jesus, but I have to live a faithful, devoted life to Christ if I wish to get to heaven. If I don't do both of those things, I'm not going. That's a false gospel. That's a counterfeit gospel. That's not the gospel. I want you to hold your place and look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we see the way we were, our yesterday. How do you describe it? Well, we were spiritually dead, separated from the life of God. We were under the influence, the schemes, and the heresies of the devil. We see that in verse 2. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Listen, How does Satan blind the minds of the unbeliever? He does it through false messages of salvation. He puts them up and he says, this is the truth. It's by your works you're going to get saved. It's by doing good that you're going to get saved. Satan is never going to say to somebody, go out and rape, murder, and steal, and you'll go to heaven based on that. No, it's always good things. It's always something to do with you achieving salvation. You can do something to be faithful enough to work your way to deserve heaven. That's religion. That is the way Satan blinds people today. And sad to say, there are a lot of Christians, even people in the pulpit, who are preaching a Jesus plus my faithfulness message that is an accursed message. It will not save, it will not bring salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 again. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which, notice, the true gospel is based on what? Faith. Blinded of the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The light. What does light do? It helps us to see clearly, right? When a person puts their faith in Christ, they see it. They get it. In a sense, spiritually speaking, the lights come on. I don't, can't tell you how many people I've led to Christ going over the gospel, over it and over it and over it. Usually religious people trusting in their works, trusting in their religion, trusting in their denomination. And I just show them verse after verse, John six forty seven. especially those, I was raised Catholic. It's just something that Catholics, they get it. John six forty seven. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I go over it and over it and over it. And all of a sudden, remember the light of the gospel, all of a sudden they say, I see it. What got them to see it? It was the light of the gospel that got them to see it. But Satan does not want people to see it. So he mixes the works of man in with the grace of God And it's a counterfeit false gospel. 
Or he may just, depending on who you are and what you think, he may just say, no, you know what? Just do your best. Do your best. God's going to grade on a curve. And you do your best. You'll make it, you know, and he'll put your good works on this scale and your bad works on this other scale. Whichever one is heavier, that's going to determine where you're going to go. Nowhere in the Bible. It's all made up. It's made up. No. We were under the influence, the schemes and heresies of Satan. Turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We see also that we were in bondage to the flesh. The flesh meaning our old sin nature. We're in bondage to it. It is interesting to me that the lost will criticize believers in Christ as having a crutch. Have you ever been accused of that? You're using Jesus as a crutch. Now, the believer is not under the bondage. We've been set free through faith in Christ. The lost man is under bondage to his flesh. He accuses us of using Jesus as a crutch, but all his bondage does is get more bondage and more bondage and more bondage. Why? Because instead of Christ, they're using things such as alcohol to soothe their lives, drugs, immorality, okay, perversion, sexual perversion, money, entertainment, fame, you name it. That's their crutch. All of those things are temporal. All of those things are inferior, and every one of them is going to fail. Can I say this today? You might be here or watching. Listen, friend, you may have tried every religion in the world, all different faiths, all different faiths of different countries, Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever, transcendental meditation, you know, you name it, you name it. Mooney, Goonie, Looney, I don't know. You name it. I'll tell you this, though, every one of them will fail because if it's not Jesus Christ alone, it's a false gospel. And you may be trusting in yourself. Well, I don't need this. I don't need Christ. Christ is a crutch to people. I don't need him. I'll be okay by myself. You're not going to be okay by yourself. You're not okay by yourself. You're fooling yourself. If you die without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be lost forever and there are no second chances. Do we understand the moment a lost person dies, they are consumed from that point on in hell, and they're going to suffer forever. They see it clearly when they die, but unfortunately it's too late. It doesn't have to be that way. Keep listening. We'll show you how you get out, okay? We are under the influence, the schemes, and heresies of Satan. We were in bondage to the flesh. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. You notice next that we were by nature the children of wrath. See, God's wrath would be poured out on us eventually if we remain lost. Why? Because God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is pure. Don't think this. Well, God is a God of love. He'll just let everybody off. He can't let us off. That would violate his justice and his holiness and his righteousness. What he can do, he did. He provided a way to where his justice would be satisfied, and yet he could get us to heaven. And he made it as simple as possible. And I'll show you that in just a moment. 
But you see, until you're saved the way we were, until you're saved, you're a child of the wrath of God. What does that mean? John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What that means is this, folks. The wrath of God is like a storm cloud of judgment. And it's there. And if you die without Christ, that cloud is let loose. And you'll be forever under the wrath of God. Why? Because your sins have to be taken care of. But wait a minute. You know, it sounds pretty gloomy so far, doesn't it? So we see the way we were, but let's move on, number two, to the way we are. And this is talking about, for the believer, this is talking about today. You notice in verse four, two of the most beautiful words in all the world, but God, wow, but God. Verses one through three, absolutely hopeless, helpless, terrible issues, issues of despair, truths that should cause anybody to sorrow and even shake in fear. But then you get to verse four, it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Notice this, but God, notice that there is no hope for man until the Lord steps into the picture. Do you see it? This is the heart of true Christianity. And it is in contrast to all man-made religions. Verses 1 through 3, man is helplessly, hopelessly lost. Verse 4 comes into the picture and it says, but God. You notice, but God who is rich in mercy. The word rich, you know it. If I was to say that person is rich, what does that mean? They're wealthy. They've got lots of it. God who is rich in mercy. I love that phrase. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me over to Romans chapter 5. I can't think of this point and not go to this passage as well. Because in Romans 5, we have another but God statement. And it goes perfectly with what we see in Ephesians. Romans 5 in verse 6, it says, But when we were yet without strength, boy, that sounds a lot like Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Okay, because a man's human righteousness or his goodness. Oh, that guy's a good guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll die for him. I would, I'd be willing to die for that person. God says, no, wait a minute. I've got something magnificent as we are, as wicked, perverted, twisted, corrupt sinners that we are, deplorable, God says, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. But when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, that's us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, but God, there it is again. But God commended, displayed, the word command means to put on display. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
No mention here of self-reformation. No mention here of trying to turn from all your sins. No mention here of being sorry. No mention of anything as far as us being able to help ourselves because we are helpless, bleak. But all of a sudden, God shows up. I want you to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just the way we were. Lost, hopeless, helpless, corrupt, sinful, wicked. God enters the picture. And he looks at mankind in verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, there it is. No spiritual life separated from the life of God. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, God hath quickened us together with Christ. That means made alive, has made us alive. Now he's writing to believers here. So this is their experience now that they were saved. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Notice that the Lord moved and did what he did when we were dead in sin and helpless. This is the very issue of salvation by grace, folks. This is what grace is all about, which leads us to our sub-point here, is the whole issue of grace. What is grace? Grace is its unmerited favor or kindness. It's unmerited. It's not something we deserve. Nobody deserves that. It is not something we deserve because of something we do. This is the most beautiful definition of grace I've ever heard. It's a little lengthy, but it's powerful. Grace is, quote, a favor done without expectation of return. The absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, capital G, unearned and unmerited favor, unquote. Grace. It's God doing something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and the only reason he does it is because he wants to do it. There is nothing we do or can do that would move him. Listen, nothing we do or can do that would move him to do it, because then it's not grace. Grace by nature is unmerited. It's undeserved. This is amazing. Sounds like a good hymn. Amazing grace. See, God says to every person lost in sin, he says this. And can I tell you, friends, he says it to you today. If you're here and you have never trusted Christ, those of you watching, he's saying it. Listen, God is saying this to you. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my child. But he doesn't have some sort of a magic wand to make it happen. No, there are conditions that have to be met. Verse 6, And hath raised us, believers, up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. You see, we who are saved will be displays of God's grace and kindness for all eternity. Of course, now the Christmas shopping has taken place. For those stores who still have storefronts, who still have windows on the front of their stores, 
It used to be very popular. You go to a big city and you walk down in Christmas time, you walk down the street of a big city and you see the big department stores and they've got the glass windows and the display cases. And here's all this glitter and beauty. And, you know, they put all the time into making those gorgeous displays. Can I tell you this? If you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to be an object of the grace of God. You are going to be on display. The grace of God, every one of us who is saved, I don't understand how it's going to be. I don't think scripture gives us clear teaching on it, but I know it's true because it's right here. We are going to be, look at it, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For all eternity, the grace of God is going to be poured out on me, and I will be a trophy of the grace of God for all eternity. And if you've trusted Christ, so will you. It is the Lord's doing. And listen, it is all a gift. It's a gift. We are saved. We are accepted in Christ. We are children of God. We have eternal life. We are secure forever simply by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Verses 8, look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved. You notice how you're saved? You want to go to heaven? How are you saved from hell to heaven? You're not saved by works. Look what it says. For by grace are you saved. Grace, remember? It's unmerited favor. It's un merited. It's undeserved mercy, kindness of God. God doing it. Why? He provided the way of salvation simply because he wanted to, because he loves us. I think his love was the motive. I think the grace was his act. For by grace you save through faith. What is faith? Faith is Believing or trusting in someone or something. That's what faith is. Believing or trusting in someone or something. Who are we believing in or trusting? Jesus Christ. Watch this. Here's what this is all about. Now, the Ephesians already understood it, and and Paul talked about it in chapter 1, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Here we are. Recapping verses 1 through 3. Here we are. God says we're all sinners. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us. But you see, sin separates us from God. You cannot get into heaven with even one sin. To get into heaven, you have to be sinless. Yet none of us are. We're sinners. We're separated from God. Death means separation. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Here we are. If you die with your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. No second chances. No purgatory. Purgatory is made up by man and religion. There's nothing you could do to save yourselves. Good works will not take away the sin. Why? You have to be perfect. Good works is just simply you piling on good works to cover your sin, make you look better. No, this has to be gone. But you see, folks, here's the beauty of it. When we were without strength in due time, Christ, Jesus Christ, died for the ungodly. God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, sinless, God commended, displayed his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us in our place, on our behalf. Jesus paid the price. If he paid the price, what's left? Nothing, nothing. 
Your whole lifetime of sin has been taken care of through the death of Christ. He died, was buried, he came back from the dead. And he says, he's, all he's asking you to do is put your faith in him, that he did that for you. And when you do, he will save you forever by his grace. Look at it. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of yourselves. Now, some think where it says, and that not of yourselves, again, your false teachers come in and you say, well, that not of yourselves, that's talking about faith. They'll say faith is the gift of God. No, that doesn't fit the scriptures. As a matter of fact, it doesn't work at all. The word that not of yourselves, okay, The word that, not to get too deep technical, but it needs to be said. That is a neuter pronoun, whereas the words grace and faith are feminine. In Greek, there's modifiers. There's words that go together. That refers back to salvation. Now, the Bible is clear, if you know the word of God, that salvation is the gift of God, not faith. Salvation's the gift of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. A salvation is not of ourselves. Next, it is the gift of God. Now, what is a gift? A gift is a present. Christmas time is coming. People are going to be buying gifts. If I was to buy you a gift, why would I do that? Well, I would give you a gift because I love you, because I care about you. If I'm going to buy you a gift, though, if I said, okay, here you go, now you got to promise me this, this, and this. That's not a gift. That's a contract. Gifts are free. There's no strings attached. A gift is a present. Salvation as a gift makes total sense if salvation is on the basis of grace and not on the basis of justice. Because if it was based on justice, it could never be a gift because we don't deserve it at all. What do we deserve? We deserve hell, according to the Bible. That would be justice. But Jesus satisfied the justice. See, the holiness of God had to be satisfied. Jesus did that when he died on the cross. He said, it's finished, paid in full. God raised him from the dead to prove it was done. And the Bible says, if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, he'll save you by his grace. What a wonderful truth. It is. See, those who oppose salvation by grace, they know nothing of grace itself. Those who oppose salvation by grace alone are sending themselves to an eternity in hell. I know that's a strong statement, but it's true. The only way God saves is by grace, and grace is unmerited. We don't deserve it. If you think, I am going to do this to make myself worthy, that is not grace. And he only saves by grace. It is when we realize we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are wicked. We're sinful. And we deserve to spend forever separated from God. But then we look at the work of Christ on the cross and we say, yes, I trust in him that he did that for me. And God says, I will save you by my grace. We don't deserve it, but he saves says in Romans 3, 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Back to Ephesians 2. You notice it says, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. The next part, it is the gift 
of God, then what do we see? It's not of works. Now, by the way, this further explains not of yourselves in verse 8. For by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. That's what it means by not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So here's the question today. Have you trusted Jesus Christ the Savior? Now, we're not through, so listen carefully. If you have, that leads us to our last point, and it's the way God wants us to be once we're saved. Now, it's his desire for us. It's not a requirement to getting into heaven, but this has to do with our tomorrow. We've looked at our past, we've looked at our today, and now we look at our tomorrow. This is the tomorrow of our lives. In other words, here's what it comes down to, folks. Once we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he saves us, he gives us eternal life, and in that eternal life, there is a new life now on this planet. Why in the world, if God loves me so much, why in the world, when he saves me, just doesn't take me to heaven right then? Because he has a life for me to live. Now, that's not a requirement to getting into heaven, but it gives me a purpose for living. This is the tomorrow of our lives. In contrast to being in bondage and living according to the flesh, we have been saved and given new life in a new position, which is in Christ. There's a new life to live. You might say, I could never be a fruitful Christian. Let me tell you something, friend. You can do nothing about your past, but you can live a productive life for the future. See, there's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us who are saved, for the children of God, to partner with the Lord, to walk in fellowship with him, and to let him use our lives to bring glory to himself, to tell others about this good news of salvation, to live a life, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. This is the will of God for every child of God. It's not the way to get saved. But it's the life he has for us once we're saved. We see that in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Remember, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace. But then it says, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship, it means the thing that is made, the product, the product. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Here's where good works fit in. They don't save us. They're the life we should live once we're saved, which God hath before ordained. This is the plan of God for us. Now watch this. Very important. Let me misread it two times. I'm going to read it, misread it twice, which God has before ordained that we will walk in them. Does it say that? No. Which God hath before ordained that we must walk in them. Does it say that? No. It says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice the language of God's grace. Because grace is free, because grace is unmerited, because grace is undeserved, because the one who's acting in grace doesn't demand anything back in return, God is hoping for a positive response from you and me to saving us by his grace. And he says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
Should is the only word that goes with grace. The only word. The Lord has a life for every believer to live. We are made alive by the grace of God to live for the Lord. We're born again just to be saved. No, we're born again to a new life, a new life. So think of the past. I know I've spent a lot of time on this, thinking about this this week. Oh, I remember what it was like to be lost. You know, that story I told you at the beginning, of, I got witness to, and, I, and it was a negative response that I gave, and I walked away. Oh, I almost get sick when I think of that. Why? So blind by the religion that I was in. So blind. What a terrible response. I was being offered the free gift of salvation in heaven, and I walked away from it. Hardly remember it, but I believe it's true. Javier will be here. He'll tell you about it. But oh, how wonderful when I got saved and I trusted Christ the Savior. And you know, folks, with me, I just realized that the night I got saved, I said, you know what? There's nothing greater in the world than what I just heard and what I just believed. I just want to tell other people about it. That's all I want to do. I want to tell other people. Everybody needs to hear this. Is that a requirement? No. I was already saved forever. Nothing could undo it. Not a requirement. But it sure makes sense, doesn't it, to live for him once you're saved. What if you don't? You still go to heaven because it's by grace. Listen, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Put your faith in him as your Savior, the one who died and paid for your sins and rose from the grave. He'll give you eternal life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.